Mr. Pop. Dark. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today we're going to discuss our experience and thoughts on the first three Mythos packs in The Circle Undone. So these are just the secret name, the wages of sin, and for the greater good. Uh, Next, we'll be talking about some exciting recent developments in Arkham deck building. And this is concerning the inception... Of combo decks in Arkham Horror the card game. But first, let's go to just talking about uh, the Circle Undone. We're going to kind of do a check in on these first three uh, packs. Yeah, we've kind of, you know, at this point, we've played through the initial two scenarios and then the first three packs. So this is kind of a good opportunity to uh, see how the campaign's looking so far and, and what, what we think about it and, uh, yeah, talk about some fun scenarios. And obviously, there'll be some spoilers for the scenarios. So if you haven't played them yet, I guess do that and then come back and listen to us. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yep, sounds right. So we kind of wanted to start off by getting into the catching up with everything that we did in in the box of uh, the Circle and Done. So we had these little mini investigators that uh, all died horribly, and then we went to a spooky woods, and there were were introduced to a couple, few different factions. Here we're introduced to the witches in the woods who seem to be conniving some spells and rituals that would bring about the end of the whole human race and (laughs) not cool and there are also the silver twilight lodge which is the most interesting because they seem to be civil and enjoyable human beings to be around but also then apparently also uh some horrible things that want to destroy all time and space so they're a little more cultured but also still questionable morals then there are the ghosts who are these apparitions that kind of appear sometimes and seem to be like warning us of something or doing you know it's kind of unclear. All they know is that we, they just want to kill anything that comes near them. So these are the three sects uh, of things that we've run into so far in the first three uh, scenario packs. And then there's us. Yes. And then there's the investigators who get injected into this and have no idea what's going on. And we have to figure out everything as ghosts are chasing us in a very Scooby-Doo-esque montage. And we should say that uh, because this is the first time we're playing this campaign, we're playing in standard mode, and we have, uh, so we have Rita, Joe Diamond, Preston, and Carolyn. So yeah, so let's let's kind of jump over to the secret name then, now that, now that we're all caught up, caught up with the base stuff. The secret name was the first Mythos pack, which introduced rats! <laughs> and I, I think that this is, this scenario we're going to remember for as long as we play this game, for introducing the most terrifying and bone-chilling art on an encounter card ever to exist. Um, <laughs> so, I, right, I think we're talking about it. It's Meddlesome Familiar, right? Which is, yeah. oh, the God. art just features this terrifying, human-faced rodent, like, just gnawing on somebody's leg ferociously. Uh, and it is just really disturbing in, in the best possible way. <laughs> That art is so great. Uh. I, I think when we first saw it, I, I know I, I'm sure that I made some kind of involuntary noise like Gah! or something like that. <laughs> um, I think I just... stopped and stared at it and didn't take my turn until until you guys kind of brought me <laughs> yeah, back it's to reality. Like you always in this game, you're like kind of scared to draw from the encounter deck usually because like usually bad things happen to you and it could be ancient evils or something. But uh, this was the first time where it was scary to draw from the encounter deck. You almost wanted to do it with like your eyes closed. Just because there was a chance that you would see that terrifying, angry face just, like, biting someone's leg off, looking back at you from the card. Never never more in any circumstance have I wanted my, my part of my mind to be wiped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the, but the, the terrifying, freakish monster on the card, that's, that's Brown Jenkin, right? Yes, Brown yeah. Jenkins. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit hard to tell because he does look a little bit different from the actual Brown Jenkin enemy card. Yeah, which is uh, a little well, bit of a shame, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, both both are scary, but the the one on Metalson Familiar is definitely scarier. Yeah, there's probably a discrepancy because I think they get all this art commissioned at the same time from like different artists, 
So they probably like gave a description of Horrible Ratman to like two different people, and we got two different interpretations. I would guess that maybe the one on sure. the enemy card is, I think, is a little bit more authentic to what he's described as looking like in the Lovecraft story. Definitely, but definitely. They probably saw. I mean, when the artist sent in the art for Middlesome Familiar, my guess is they just said, "This is so terrifying, and like absolutely will destroy people's brains, and we can't, <laughs> we can't not use it just because it's a little bit off model, right?" Yeah. That, that's that's my headcanon for how this turned out, but I have no I have no actual information. One hundred and fifty percent. No, I mean knowing them, they're gonna they're they're not gonna make this a playmat. But if they did, <laughs> oh, no. if they oh, did, it would so show terrifying. up on your doorstep. You wouldn't buy it. It would just be there in the morning. Uh, I I would burn it. I would throw it in the fire. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you find it when you're like remodeling your house, right? You like break down a wall. Yeah. It's just there. <laughs> there you go. Oh man. We, we should probably talk at least a little bit about the actual scenario, though, right? I mean, so, like, what else do people need to know other than... Well, yeah, away, I, yeah if you... Proud Jake is there. Yeah. <laughs> if you're still listening and haven't played this game, beware. <laughs> yeah, but the... So the only enemies in this one are Brown Jenkin and Nahab and then the rats. Uh, the ordinary rats encounter set from the you core set. You say only enemies, but there's so many rats. <laughs> yeah, there's exactly. There's so but, many rats. But the they keep getting bigger. The rats keep getting bigger, and they keep coming back even after you kill them. So it's still, it's pretty difficult to deal with those. Yeah. Uh, and there were sort of two phases. First, you're exploring the house, and then things get gradually um, extra dimensional, and a lot of interesting... It's gradual. It's uh, You walk into a room, and it flips, and all of a sudden you're in the past or something. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, but there are still rats. Yeah, yeah oh, there's, still, there's rats everywhere. Still uh, rats. They follow you. So there's lots of cool locations that are references to other things from the Arkham Files, like the sort of portals from Arkham Horror and things like that, various locations. Um, the one that I particularly appreciated was there's a physics classroom and the art is exactly yes. the auditorium from Raiders of the Lost Ark, where uh, <laughs> where he tells the government dudes about the Ark. Like, it, it can't be a coincidence. It looks exactly like that, and I, I think that's cool. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty neat. I, the coolest part, I think, this, this pack introduced something that I don't think they've done ever, which is introduce an enemy that is so well-known, like, oh, hi, rats. I remember you from the casino. I remember you from the first game. I remember you from one of my first days. From the uh, gathering. Back on the stomping grounds, the good old stomping grounds of the gathering, and you stomp on rats, right? Like, you, you they're easy. In this one, they are, they can be abominable, let's just say. Like, as the as the agenda flips, they just get bigger. Brown Jenkin makes mm. them bigger. Brown Jenkin comes back, by the way, multiple times. People kind of compared it to the, um, the Miskatonic Museum. The shadow behind you in the Miskatonic Museum. Yeah, yeah, the the big no, the extramental snake, the, oh. the slithering, the slithering or something. Yeah. yeah, snakes in a museum. But anyway, yeah. So so we get this experience where we have these rats. We're like, oh hi rats, wow. And then it escalates from there. More sweat, yeah. more hurried breaths as we try and murder rats over and over and over again. And you're actually cle- <laughs> cleaving swaths of rats like left and right, and it it gets very scary. It's very great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I liked I liked the scenario. Uh, I liked I liked how they reused the rats. As as you were saying, it's like an enemy we've seen a hundred times, and now all of a sudden it's a uh, very terrifying because there's so many of them. It's like the dimension of the and rats. All led by they're all led by Brown Jenkin, who is the yeah. most terrifying of all the rats. The Rat Godfather. Yeah, very very terrifying. The other thing there was also one of the locations had this cool effect where you could meddle with the past. You could request help from your past self and get a card back from your discard pile, but then you have to remember that you've meddled with the past. I forget what the actual consequences of it, or if there were any, but it was cool. I don't know yeah. if we saw any, but it's possible we didn't like draw the card or didn't look at that location or something. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was it was great because it was like, oh, Dan, here's this card. You can uh, draw a card from your deck, but you have to remember that you meddled with the past. <laughs> and you were like, oh, oh, f- no, yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely kidding. not doing that. Yeah. So the last time, I mean, the last time we tried that, it didn't really work out so well. Uh, yeah. so. <laughs> I think the one cool part about the secret name um, is that it definitely tempers with the spooky time continuum thing just like the boundary beyond did before it and all of those but this does it in a, in a way where you're not it, it you're not just focused on on that the fact that you're reaching out to yourself in a past or you're going to these different dimensions you're focusing on the rats that are like murdering you this whole time and you're tr- you're frantically trying to figure out which reality is the one that you need to go to to get clues to get resources and things like that and that's i think way more of an effective way to 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 introduce these extramental things not as places that you can explore like it's some sort of tour 
more like as a place as places that you need to go to because there are there are about 80 rats chewing on your head at the time that you're going to them and you need to find these clues yeah also there's more rats it's just like uh you remember those like time adventures lego sets that they had back in the uh you know late 90s early 2000s where there'd be like a pirate ship with like uh ghosts and aliens on it and stuff that kind of like mix all the lego stuff together it's just like that yeah formative formative experience for young dan playing with those legos (laughs) (laughs) yeah so secret name uh, i think we all enjoyed it uh brown jenkin is easily the most terrifying counter card in this game as of now not brown jenkin the card but the the art um, Medicine for me. I I wish so badly that I could erase that image from my brain, but it will never happen. But this is like when yeah. when any good artist, uh, you know, any on any medium, does has a very effective way of doing things. Is great job, artist who did that. It's <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's also a very on theme for Call of Cthulhu that like someone paints a painting of something and you look at it and you lose sanity. Uh, I will jump so. into Cthulhu's cold embrace before I ever go near. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah i mean if you get yeah exactly uh yeah yeah so so yeah that's the secret name yeah mechanically it was great story-wise uh it was basically takes the dreams of the witch house from lovecraft and like puts a little bit of a twist on it in that we're yes. kind of like revisiting the events from that similar to dunwich legacy i guess and which is like we're not actually living out the story but we're like going back there mm. I forget uh, the name of the like main character of that, but like I think that's the room we go to that like we then before we got sent to the past. So it's kind of cool that they got inspired by that and were able to tie in the witch theme. I've never actually read that story, but I kind of wish that I had because I'm sure it would have uh, provided some context for this scenario. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorites. It, it reminded me of uh, there's a there's a movie a long time ago uh, called The People Under the Stairs. I think it was and the the house the setting of the house is so evocative of this like you know disheveled moldy halls with all these like you know very spooky corridors dark wallpaper on everything just just being terrifying there's things in the walls crawling everywhere these things being rats and only rats but it it evoked a very very great image i think of a claustrophobic environment with rats everywhere you can smell the rats yeah, it really, uh, it really reminded me of um, there was a television program that used to be on on the television about a, a young woman who was a witch that could cast magic spells that lived with uh, with her two aunts in a house, and the house didn't have like rats in it or anything. Um, <laughs> it was called Sabrina the Teenage Witch, um, but it just reminded me of that because it had witches in it. I, I think that's a current program, actually. It's a reboot, reboot, sequel, reboot. <laughs> oh, they brought it back. Netflix. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> pretty cool that's yeah great yeah with the girl from the black coat's daughter i have no idea what that is no idea what that is anyway but uh yeah pretty cool uh i don't know why we were not allowed to burn the book that yeah like that was it too obvious like i mean because we certainly would have did matt newin realize that like when given the option to burn stuff like you always just burn it just to be safe he figured (laughs) out our winning strategy in all lovecraft related uh role-playing or adventure games which is every time you have the opportunity to set a written material and this is the golden rule similar item on fire you always take it right yeah yeah (laughs) they figured that they were they were being sneaky because in real life you'd never do that but it's the exact opposite. Always burn your books. <laughs> Always. Yeah, exactly. They're very dangerous. We should probably move on to the the next one. So the the second mythos pack, the fourth scenario, I guess, not counting the prologue, was called the Wages of Sin, uh, and this was the um, the the proverbial ghost busting uh, scenario, right? So um, there were two encounter decks. That was the kind of the, the unique element of this one. One was the normal encounter deck, and one was the spectral realm encounter deck. So you can yes. move back and forth between the physical realm or the earthly realm and the spectral realm. I guess really the mechanic was you, you would flip locations between the kind of normal side and the spectral side. And depending on which one you were in, you would draw a different encounter deck. And the ones in the spectral encounter deck were generally a lot scarier. This was also, this was kind of like the Midnight Masks, Last King, Threads of Fate style one of this campaign. Like we've seen... Most campaigns, there's kind of an early scenario where you're trying to interview as many people as possible or defeat as many cultists as possible or something like that. This was sort of like that because there were four heretics and we were trying to get as many of them as possible. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. it's definitely one that where there's like degrees of success and it's like pretty obvious. Like as you go, it's like, oh, there's X amount of this 
we want to try to get all of them if we can. Yeah. Uh, in this case, there was four four of them. There's definitely like one of those in every campaign, like Boundary Beyond, yeah. Dimension Unseen, which is which is cool. Like those are generally among the better scenarios. Like we generally like those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're great because it's you can feel like you did decent and still have a. They're still like we. They're very replayable because like you probably yeah. won't get all of them on the first try. So when you go back, right. it's like, oh, when I go back, I really want to get all of them. It's a little bit more fun than just trying to collect all the victory. So we got we got two out of the four, and I think because uh, I think our decks are pretty decent. You know, we play this game a lot. I think going back now that we know how it works, I think we could probably do better. Which is kind of the point. Like once you know how it works, you can strategize a little better and try to get more. It but is a hard scenario. We almost got three, but then we realized we messed up a rule. So. <laughs> Yeah, decided <laughs> yeah, there you go to penalize ourselves. But uh, but yeah. I have rules. But I I do think that uh, I think the community reaction when this came out was that people generally considered it very difficult, extremely difficult. Which partly these kind of variable success ones where you're trying to get as many cultists as possible, or whatever. I think that those always seem difficult because Boundary Beyond was like this too, because uh, people feel like they should try to get all of them, and that's very hard. But in this case, especially, it really did seem pretty tricky. Like the time limit was pretty harsh. Yeah. Not not necessarily in a bad way. Just it was definitely one of the harder scenarios. Yeah. Well, for this one, I think to get like a quote unquote good resolution, I think you just need to get like one of them. And if you get all four, you get like one extra thing. But like getting one of them is like good. Although we haven't seen because you like write in your campaign log, like how many you don't kill. Oh, and they we get like seen... released into the world yes. or something. Yeah. Like that. We haven't yeah. seen like how that affects stuff yet. So there might be like a later scenario where it's like, oh, if you, if two of them escaped, uh, add two doom to the first agenda or something like that. Yeah. Or like, uh, or like destroy two of your best cards for your deck, tear them up right now because I got eaten by ghosts or something. (laughs) There's kind of a range because like Midnight Masks, you pretty much can get all six of them if you're like trying and you've played it before and you kind of want to because any that you don't get come back in the third scenario, which is already very hard. So you really want to try to get all six. But uh, in, like, Boundary Beyond, uh, it's extremely hard to get all of the locations, and you're kind of not really meant to get all of them. Like, if you get all of them, you just get to skip the next scenario, so. Yeah, which isn't the best reward. Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, you did so well, you get to skip a whole scenario. Eh, so, I don't know, I'm, I'm usually down for skipping Heart of the Elders, but, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm fine I'm fine with Heart of the Elders, like, one, one run through it. You don't want to have to do it, like, multiple times, <laughs> but. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so it fits in with that kind of tradition of, of scenarios and was definitely pretty challenging. Um, My favorite yeah. part about the, the, the enemies in the scenario, uh, this is mostly dealing with the ghosts when I mentioned the three factions, the ghosts, the witches, and the Silver Twilight Lodge. You don't really see, you, you see some witches kind of running around trying to be spooky and, and doing stuff. But most of the time, these heretics are, are, I think, part of the ghosts. Eventually, you see the Spectral Watcher appear and you have to deal with them as well. And it's really... He's very, very annoying to deal with. But the ghosts, the cool part about the the scenario is that when it starts, it's very, very ominous, but also kind of unassuming, where you just have these open locations. There are these places with zero clues on them, but like eight shroud. And you're you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's immediately very suspicious. (laughs) Very, very suspicious. You kind of want to cover as much ground as possible and see what's going on. And then these spirits kind of pop up. And it's kind of, they're kind of ambiguous because they're, they're aloof at first and they're kind of like hovering and they seem like these forlorn sort of ambiguous things that you might need to talk to. They might need, they might need to like, you might need to understand them better rather than just to straight up murder them like you do everything else in this game. Yeah. And that part was really cool when you finally defeat them, you kind of flip them over and they become the the whole kind of catch of the of the scenario, which a lot of the encounter cards deal with in the spectral realm. Um, unfinished business. Mm. They all have ties to the world where they were like you know brutally murdered in some fashion, maybe, or you know some some interesting uh, lore stuffs happened, and you have to deal with that. Kind of carrying these to their proper place to rest, which is always a really I, that's one of my favorite things in games to do, um, even though it's kind of just like a pick up and run kind of a thing. Yeah, I think that was a really cool mechanic. It definitely adds to the variance of how hard it is, though, because it seemed like because there were like four four spectral four heretics and four locations that they have to go to. I think I think they each have a location, right? Yes. And it seemed like they get kind of dealt out randomly, I believe. And if they get dealt out to like locations that are close to where their unfinished business needs to go, it could be pretty easy. If they're all like on the opposite side of the map, it makes it a lot harder. Yeah, there's actually there's six of them and we like pick four of them at random. 
Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. sure, and, sure. And, like, and two of them, I think, are not linked locations. They have, like, some other oh, right. mechanic. Like, you have to fight them twice or yeah. you have to, like, spend clues or something. I think three of the four that we got were linked to locations, and then the fourth was have to fight it twice, which is also very hard. Which is ridiculous yeah. because they have 10 health with four investigators. <laughs> That's a collective 40 health you have to deal with. Yeah, although what's cool is that you instead of fighting them normally, you can use the spectral web, which is, like, a special item that we all get where you can pretty much just dump a bunch of clues to get plus combat and do plus damage. So as I was playing Joe Diamond and I would basically just scoop up a ton of clues and then I was pretty good at dealing with the heretics because I had so many clues. It's reminiscent of uh, Undimension Unseen in that way where you have like, yeah. these boss monsters that you need to fight. Yeah, it's true. And you have a spell to fight them with and you use clues on it. Except I was going to say that. Is a lot more fun. I, <laughs> I was going to say, they definitely <laughs> did it much better. And I think that it's also kind of reminiscent of... Um, of the Egypt scenario, um, because you also kind of get a, a means to defeat the first boss in that scenario. Seekers get a way to help deal with things anyways. And I always think that's cool that they can kind of pull the classes that aren't generally supposed to help in those scenarios. And they make the whole scenario harder. And, and you know, you can kind of facilitate that with the Seekers helping too. Yeah, yeah. And I also, uh, one random thing that was kind of interesting in this, um, one of the locations, Chapel Crypt, has a mechanic where you put the top card of your, your investigator deck face oh, down yeah. and it becomes like an enemy you have to fight, which is kind of, it, you know, it reminded me of like Netrunner and Magic having like face down cards that have kind of like a default set of numbers on them. Is it turned into like a zombie or something? Or is it just in the ghost? Like Some kind ghost? of spirit or ghost or zombie or something. I can't remember. Yeah, th- I think there was only one other place so far that does that, which is in the last scenario in Forgotten Age, that it turns your cards into um, into polyps, flying polyps. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, New York. It's like it's like New York aftermath or something. Well, there was also I think in Carcosa one of the scenarios makes one of your player cards go face down as like a horror soak sort of. Yeah, um, that's yeah, true too. As a reward for interviewing yeah. somebody. I've that. always I've always thought it would be cool if they had a boss in one of these scenarios where it would like search your deck and pull out items and then use them against you somehow or something. And this is <laughs> not quite exactly that, but it's like kind of a cool idea nonetheless. Yeah, there was another room actually here that now that you mentioned it, there was I think it was like a bedroom or something where it took a card from your deck or your hand and then the haunted effect would trigger it would they would it would put cards underneath itself yeah and you get them and back then it would when you successfully investigate yeah when you like successfully investigate you yeah. get them back uh, and if if you get the haunted ability it just starts not exiling them but but removing them from the game which is yeah, which is cool them scary them, right? kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah it's a really cool mechanic i think that those two those two places stood out to me in terms of scenario or not that location is definitely a, a brutal location if you are bad at investigating. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I think the the way I'd kind of sum up this one was it's one that I'm very interested in playing again. We've only gotten to play these once, or at least I have. Maybe you guys have played them more. But because this one was so challenging, um, I'm really interested to play it again. And I also, I just think it was a really cool example of, there's kind of like a trope in fantasy or horror of like, you have kind of like the dark world or the spirit world that is has the same geometry as the world we live in, but has like scary stuff in it. So like Stranger Things did this pretty recently, and I, I always kind of yeah. like that theme, and it was it was cool to see that done pretty well. For all those who who love Berserk, Berserk does that as well, and it's it's always a cool thing because they they have that breaking point where everything flips over and everything's spooky. Then suddenly the the ambiguous forlorn spirits that were up on the hills, you know, hoping for help, become terrifying bosses that you have to face, which <clears> is cool. Yeah. If you haven't already started murdering them. Story wise, trying to remember what happened at the end of this. I think we were just we were just trying to like investigate the witches and the ghosts, right? I'm trying to figure out their pasts, I think. The witches and the ghosts seem like they're on the same team in the story. Like the the witches like want the ghosts. Like most of these most of these ghosts are like dead witches or something from the past. Yeah, they're trying to so. do something maybe with Azazoth, but maybe not. I but don't there's know. there's an element with the ghosts of this kind of like mournful regret, like they yeah. weren't able to stop something from happening, or they're trying to like warn us about something. There's like a little bit of that going on, right? Mm. Yeah, I agree. Whereas the witches are just like straight up evil, or at least we we they seem mm. to be like, working against us. We only had like one interaction with them. It's most like directly in like the first scenario, which we played a while ago, so I don't quite remember what that was. Isn't but... isn't Nahab one of the witches kind of? I guess she's a ghost yeah, witch. Yeah, but she's a ghost witch from like 200 years ago. Maybe there's three so. teams. Witches, ghosts, and ghost witches. <laughs> and then us. <laughs> so four teams. And, and the Silver Twilight. Oh yeah, five teams. Wow, this is really complicated. Yeah, it is. 
I, I always, uh, I mean, I always feel like when we play these campaigns as they come out and we're just playing one scenario every month, r- roughly, I never really have a really good handle on what's going on in the campaign just because it's like a month apart. So I'm looking forward to when all the packs come out and we can sort of play through it like all in one weekend and then I'll sort of understand what's going on. Oh, and yeah. I can read all the story text to you all at once. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be reading Twitter on my phone during that, Ben. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> How could you? All right. Well, why don't we move on to the the third mythos pack? For the greater um, good. <laughs> think, yes, it is in fact called <laughs> five. For the greater, the greater good. bad. Yeah. Now I know. I know you wanted it to be called five. The greater bad, Dan, so that I <laughs> so I, that I, it lined up with the number of the scenarios. I, but... I was I was really hoping that this one would be not cool, so that we could say more like for the greater bad. But uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So the deal with this one is we're going to the lodge. And there's like two variants on this, depending on if you sided with the cultists or sided with the Silver Twilight Lodge or decided to be against them back yeah. in the second scenario. Right. And the playthrough we we're doing is we decided to side with the lodge, but we're lying to them. We're deceiving them. Yeah. So we're not we're not really on their team, but they don't know it because <laughs> we're so smart and how smart they, they this don't know. Definitely they don't know seemed anything. like the most interesting and fun yeah. route to go. So I, I'm excited to try the other ones too. But this definitely feels yeah. like the coolest one. So yeah, in this one we're like we're like hanging out in their lodge and we're like trying to like investigate them and find information without them uh, detecting us. And the way the the way the scenario is designed to to represent this is like cultists will spawn and they get doom on them. And if you just like shoot up kill the cultists, it will move the doom onto the agenda. Well, it, it will move one doom on them. If they have like three doom uh, and you kill them, it only moves one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yes, that's true. It moves doom from each cultist at the location. I think. Yes. Or each yeah, enemy yeah, at the location. Yeah, one doom from each enemy at the location. Yeah, or, or at Silver Twilight enemy. Because a couple of times it happened that one of them would get up to like three or four doom, and it was it's not really practical for us to necessarily get rid of. If if, if we can kill it and just put one doom on the agenda, maybe it's not that bad, right? Yeah, but it's hard though because. When that happens, suddenly everybody everybody's H and evils on them. If that's the if that's the case, right? Yeah, yeah. This was definitely a, a really managing the doom in this one was really tough. It felt like there were a lot of enemies, and there were really nasty encounter cards that would spawn like two cultists or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. it just it felt like there was a never ending stream of dudes showing up with doom on them and getting more doom, and it was very it was difficult to keep pace with it. We did end up, I think, getting the good resolution at the end, but it felt like we just barely made it. Yeah. We got a resolution at the end. The one big problem with us, our timing, was uh, we had the Elder thing. And <laughs> don't make yeah. that we mistake. We would sometimes just take tests, being like, ah, I don't care if I fail this test. And then we'd, we'd draw the Elder thing, like, oh, yeah, it's really bad if I fail this test, because it moves a doom onto the agenda. It's an Agent Evils. <laughs> it happened a lot. We, we definitely so. had some pretty bad luck with not just people drawing the Elder thing, but when they drew the Elder thing. Yeah. And also not having a way to stop Agent Evils, because that's definitely also in this. Yeah. 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 And I don't think we drew our wards or Oklahoma Yeah, we cards. didn't We didn't have yeah, so. any of our wards or ways to deal with it. It really is so funny when you're playing a three or four player game. This is kind of not totally relevant, but if you just go in with a party where everybody has like ward of protection or forewarned, everybody has at least a couple of wards in their deck versus a, a party where like no one does, it is night and day. Yes. Like, it just <laughs> is. Like there's really nothing that makes the game... There's nothing you can do to make the game significantly easier uh, in terms of what cards you put in your deck, aside from just like, oh, what if all four people in your group had wards? It's really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now we have ways across classes, right? Especially if a couple have like upgraded wards that can be played on anything. Yeah. Yeah. The red ward does that too. Test of will? Yeah, there test of will. Yeah. So, so there was the cultists in this that we were trying to like figure out how to either get rid of the doom off them without killing them or strategically kill them and, and take loss of a turn. And then there was also the keys. Mm. So they like repurpose some chaos tokens to represent like key objects, which was the first were kind of abstract during the scenario. And I think during the resolution they explained what each one was. Uh, so you had to like wander around and uh, either fight enemies or like find different locations to get these keys. And then once you had a key, you could usually take it to a certain location and either like unlocked the location or like gave you some benefit while at that location, like it reduced the shroud or something. So that added a little bit more randomness to the scenario in terms of like where the key spawned, because maybe when you spawn a key, it's the one that's for the the door to the location that's right next to you, or it could be for the door that's on the opposite side of the map. And I think there were some encounter cards that made like holding onto a key dangerous as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the kind of the layout of the place is it's sort of a um, like bisects where where you can either go downstairs into the cellar and there are these special locations these uh, what are they called sanctum locations 
And uh, that's like where there's some like, kind of spooky shit happening, where there's like questionable things that Silver Twilight Lodge is doing. And then when you go upstairs, it's a little different. There's like a lot li- library and a vault and like more normal type things to have in a very large house. Yeah, but but those questionable things they're doing are being done for the greater good. It's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so they say. Yeah. Yeah, I think that ties the layout ties a little bit into the two variants of the scenario because if you do the version we did you like go in the front door and you hang it light upstairs and you like can go to the library and read the books you're not allowed to burn them for some reason um <laughs> and it kind of explore you don't necessarily need to go down into the spooky cellar but i think in the other version i kind of scanned through the cards to get an idea of it you like come in through the back door and like sneak in through the crypt and then you, you so the first area you might explore is the sanctum area that's spooky so you might immediately be like oh okay it's a good thing we didn't join these guys because they're up to no good <laughs> type of thing. And, yeah. and the mechanic for that is, I think, instead of like talking to them to make their doom go away, be like, hey, don't worry, guys, we're chill. Uh, you have to like evade <laughs> and make them like get their doom to go away. Yeah. And then murder. Kind of like a stealth thing, like you're sneaking past them. Yeah, I, I think yeah. between the different versions of this scenario and the, the challenge of the previous one, I'm really interested to, to play this campaign again because I think there's just a lot of stuff will be different and will be interesting. Yeah. There is a one thing that this kind of reminded me of, I don't know if you guys agree, is Echoes of the Past, because that one also had enemies that put Doom on themselves, and the Doom sort of timer oh, yes. is is very dependent on how well you're able to deal with enemies. And in Echoes of the Past, it usually felt like, even though it's a pretty big map, we've generally been able to keep the cultists under control in Echoes of the Past, and so yeah. we usually feel like there's really not very much time pressure in that scenario unless things go very wrong, like we get really unlucky. Right. This scenario, uh, it's too early to tell. I've only played it once. I know maybe you guys have played it like twice, but it seemed like it was quite a bit harder and sort of more carefully designed so that you can mitigate it a lot, but it, it takes a lot more actions and it's more interesting. So it's kind of like a, it feels like maybe like a, a fixed version of Echoes of the Past in that sense, at least in the way that the Doom works. Yeah, and I think it's because that effect is localized right on the agenda. So no matter where you are, no matter what cultist it is, the effect is is that you need to move. Mm. You need to take all the doom off of them before you can kill them. Yeah, exactly. Or, or dodge them and what or do whatever. Yeah. In the evasion version, the being against the cult, I think it does actually use the regular set of cultists that we see in like Echoes of the Past. Yeah, from the oh, no, Echoes of the Past. Sorry, I was thinking of um, Black Stars Rise. It, it's got the core set cultists. Yeah. Ones that have like one health and like one doom on them. That's a lot easier to deal with. So they're a little bit easier to deal with than like the the new ones that are part of the circle and done like the are they fanatics or something and then there's like a jailer and a couple others they have cool names and art too like the knight of yeah. the outer void and all that stuff they're pretty neat yeah and then a thing we didn't actually get to because we were so worried about agenda two flipping <laughs> i think we ended the scenario before we like finished exploring everywhere which means we mess missed out on precious precious victory points yeah we only got three xp it kind of sucked and I think the maximum was like seven. Not great. <laughs> wow. Uh, the maximum is seven because uh, the spoilers, Agenda 2, when it flips over, does not end the game. It is a, a replacement card, and it summons a big boss monster that you have to fight. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a really tough boss monster. Yeah. I think it, it's probably not as scary in lower player counts because you can probably hit it in one or two turns. Yeah. yeah. But in, in four player, I think you probably can't kill it first round, especially if you're not prepared for it. It's right. like 24 health. Yeah, it becomes stronger like every round, like every like one or two doom in play, it becomes stronger or something like that. Oh my god! So it can definitely become very scary very quickly. But if you kill mm-hmm. it fast, it might not be too bad. But this isn't even mentioning the best part of the scenario. I thought the best part of the scenario was that finally, when you get all of the objectives that you need to, which is kind of collecting all the keys, there is flavor text on the back of the last uh, act card where you go through each of the keys and it explains in detail what each of them does. And this brought me back to. When I was on the plane going to Arkham Knights last year, I was sitting next to Dan, and Dan saw that I brought my Arkham cards on the plane, and Dan was like, no, Dan, we're not going to play Arkham cards on the plane, and I was all sad, and Dan was like, here you go, here's a here's an iPad with this game called The Room on it, and I played the shit out of that game. That game is so much fun. It's this game where you kind of have to pull apart all these little, you have to kind of like solve this little puzzle box, and that's exactly what this felt like. That's, that's what this evoked, so good job design team with that. Because that was so cool. Even though some people yeah. might not really care about, you know, the order of them, I just thought it was a great detail to add. No, I agree. I liked the flavor of opening the puzzle box. The room games are really excellent. There's actually, I think, like three of them now. There's like two sequels. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely check those out if you haven't uh, if you haven't played them. And they're definitely a little bit Lovecraftian in feel and theme as well. 
Oh, certainly. I, I would bet that based on the like interests of the people working on Lovecraft games, I would say there's probably a pretty high probability that they've played those games, which is really cool. Yeah, so I, I, I that got me excited because also because I'm thinking like, oh, but what if we went the other way? Does that mean that we're going to put the Elder thing first and then the skeleton? Or is this going to be relevant at some point later? Like, are they going to be like, ooh, uh, you know, what's the password for this door? And then you're going to have to be like, oh, I'm going to have to pull out my notes from when I when I solved the puzzle box, you know, like that kind of a thing that might have cool, flavorful effect on on later in the game. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I think uh, in this case, that might not be the true because the flavor text is very static in the back in terms of like, oh, you have all four keys. This is how you use them. Should have been. But we do know how to like open the puzzle box or something. And we have the puzzle box, which does something. I mean, just wait for, uh, you know, return to the circle undone coming in uh, oh. coming in 2021. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe that'll add a couple more keys and kind of change things around a little bit. Yeah, that's when they'll have added a new a new symbol into the chaos bag. <laughs> oh, man. And you know what it's going to be? It's going to be a cartoon hand giving a thumbs up. <laughs> Just going to be a ghost ghost emoji. Uh, it says boo. But I think that throughout all of these scenarios, the, for the greater good, the secret name, and the wages of sin, all of them felt drastically different from one another. And I think all of them evoked a very different part of Arkham than you experience in the core set. You know, like, no longer are you kind of sprinting around town with, with a very broad image of this town. You get very specific images of of creepy, moldy halls and this big manor with with questionable things happening. And I mentioned to Dan while we were playing. Actually, it reminded me of the girl with the dragon tattoo. There was there's this part, you know, this, everything seems to be all right in order with these upper class people hanging out at parties, and then there's just this absolute insane madness that's happening down under under the skin, kind of a thing. Yeah, man, that's that's how rich people are. <laughs> yeah, and I I I really like that. Uh... The scenarios have been pretty challenging. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit. And, you know, not to not to go back and talk about the Forgotten Age again, because, you know, it's, it was fine. But I think that some, <laughs> of our com- some of our complaints about that scenario, which was that the difficulty was kind of uninteractive, I think that this scenario, the difficulty feels a lot, it's, it's less like punishing and more forcing you to strategize, which at least it feels like that based on our playthrough so far. Yeah, I like that aspect a lot. I do like how this campaign has been taking place in Arkham again. Hmm. Like, it, I ha- I did actually notice that <laughs> until you mentioned it a little while ago. I was like, oh yeah, this this is at Hangman's Hill, and this is at the Silver Twilight Lodge, and this is at the Witch House. Yeah. Those are all places I remember from Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Ah, uh, back, we, back at a good old Arkham. I mean, so. we've, we've been playing these Arkham Files games for like 10 years, most of us, so this is like familiar stuff that it's really fun to see. I also... There's been a lot of story choices so far. Like, we, we chose to kind of deceive the Twilight Lodge and pretend that we were going along with them. There's other options. I think that so far, apart from the different versions of For the Greater Good, we mostly haven't seen a huge amount of effects of those, but I think that's coming, right? Like, that, that, that'll maybe appear in the resolution. So I'm interested to see kind of what happens in the next few scenarios because of that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, like, hanging story threads. Like, we haven't checked in on those four people that went missing that we did that prologue for. We like, yeah, did a little true. bit with them in the second scenario, but we yeah. haven't really seen anything about them since. As we recorded stuff in the campaign log, so I assume they're going to come up again, but we'll see. And what are, what are all the mementos, right? Like, I mean, I guess that's kind of like a progression tracking yeah. like, mechanism, but it's... You yeah, know. the mementos, uh, I think they've come up like once, but it didn't matter like which specific ones you had. It was just like, oh, if you have three mementos, you, this happens or something. Right, yeah. There, there are a couple checks for that. Yeah, so I'm wondering if like specific ones will come up or not, or if it's just kind of like a much cooler way of keeping track of like oh you found x evidence you know instead it's like oh it's the wisp of shadow or whatever you know yeah yeah the story branches so far have just been like in the intros and resolutions interludes that you apparently don't pay attention to when i dramatically (laughs) read them dan so um, i appreciate the dramaticism yeah good i'm glad somebody appreciates me (laughs) i i appreciate you're usually not screwing up too many of the rules so (laughs) Yeah, not too many of them. That's that's your most useful function. So yeah, overall, I think we like all three of these. Yeah, these, these were good, and I think we're really excited to see how the rest of the campaign turns out. Yeah, so now let's talk about the advent of combos in this game, right? So we've we've got survivor combos, and, and the reason why they're called survivor combos is because there's a very specific card that each of these decks needs to play in order to get, quote, broken. Is that card oops, Stain? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> surprisingly it's not oops uh we've been waiting for that oops renaissance but... yeah it's actually oops level three 
It is. I, I think that for real, though, I think that so will to survive is the card that Dane's talking about, which is a card yes. that turns off the chaos bag for the rest of your turn, basically. That's an important ingredient. But I also think that just more generally, the reason that these combos fit into survivor is because they're the faction that has sort of recursion from the discard pile, which is necessary for most of these things. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in any game, I think that that's, that's always proven to be a very powerful aspect. When you can interact with your discard pile, things that you've played before, it allows for some very scary things to happen in terms of power level. So we should we should say, though, for people that are maybe are coming from the Arkham Files games and haven't played other card games, when we say a combo, we don't really just mean a combination of multiple cards that interact together, although it can be that. We we mean kind of like a capital C combo where in a in a competitive game like Magic or Netrunner, it would be a, a combo that basically wins you the game. Like if you can manage to assemble these cards, yeah. usually it's you manage to start some kind of repeatable infinite loop where each iteration through it gives you some kind of advantage, like giving you more actions, giving you more resources. And once you enter this infinite loop, you're just almost certain to win. So yeah. basically there's three combos that we want to talk about. There's an infinite combo, which uh, is no longer legal with the taboo list. There's a non-infinite combo that's kind of hard to set up and has some limitations, but is still legal. And then there's another infinite combo, which is a little bit different, which is very powerful, but it's even more complicated, and that one is still legal. Yeah, yeah. So the infinite combo is actually something that, like, once you once you assemble the parts and start mm-hmm. doing the combo, in competitive games, when this happens, you just hold out your hand and it's the end of the game, because you know that they can do that. Yeah. This is very, very much that scenario, because once you do that and and you can kind of go through the motions, you know you've won the game at that point, because no longer are you taking, no longer is there a mythos phase, no longer are there any tests at all, you just win the game. Yeah, the infinite combo, um, if you do it right, it gives you infinitely many actions in a turn, and you can turn off the cast bag with will to survive for the rest of that turn, so maybe there's some edge cases where that's not going to win you the scenario, but in nearly every case that will do it. So the infinite combo is, this is a deck that was, or a deck idea that was posted on Reddit for Rita by Reddit user AK45526. Uh, This was actually back in March. And the idea is that you, so first your deck and your discard pile have to be empty, and it takes advantage of the fact that in Arkham Horror, when your deck runs out and you try to draw a card, you shuffle your discard pile into your deck. So the idea is you basically get an ace in the hole, which is a fast rogue card that gives you extra actions. You make it so that that's the only card in your deck and your, or your discard pile, so that every time you shuffle your deck, that just goes back on top, basically. And then you keep recurring it. So every time you do this, you, you play Ace in the Hole to gain three actions, then you spend one of those actions to draw a card, which shuffles your deck and you draw the same Ace in the Hole you just played. So each time you do this, you get two actions, but you lose a sanity because every time you shuffle your deck, you take a sanity. So the way that they get around this is it turns out that you have just enough actions that you can continue to play and replay Cherished Keepsake, the, the teddy bear amulet that, that soaks up two horror. You have just enough actions that you can keep playing that if you have two copies of it. And every time you do this loop, you basically gain one action and you can do it infinitely many times. So you gain, decide how many actions you want, like 10,000. And then at some point you play Will to Survive. And then for the rest of your 10,000 actions, whenever you do a test, you don't have to draw from the Chaos Bag. And in most cases, that's going to be enough to win the game, right? Yeah. So obviously that, I mean, it's a little bit of work to assemble it. And it is, it's hard to get your deck and discard pile totally empty. You have to either play cards that remove themselves from the game or you have to play assets that uh, are cheap and easy to, to, to play, but it is probably possible. So that precondition is pretty hard to achieve. The bigger problem, though, is that Ace in the Hole on the taboo list was mutated so that now you can only play it once per turn, probably for this reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would imagine that that was kind of a big, big consideration when they were considering the taboo list or the list of taboos. It, it was like, oh, yeah, this yeah. needs to happen. <laughs> you know, like this is this is real bad because this immediately again, you just win the game. Yeah, I know that most most games that have kind of like a, a meta and that have some kind of, you know, taboo list style thing, like a restricted list or ban list, a lot of them kind of have meta rules for what sort of combos they will allow. And if there's a combo that's too strong or too easy to pull off or that's like breaks the rules, they will use the ban or restricted list to make it no longer legal. So in yeah. this game, I think it's probably a fair bet that infinite combos are something that the design team maybe just doesn't want to have in the game. And right. when they see evidence of one, maybe that's one of the things that they will use the taboo list for is to 
uh, errata or limit one of those cards or ban one of those cards to make sure that you can't do the infinite combo. That's just a guess, but it seems like a reasonable guess. But anyway, so that's the that's the first combo. What about the second one? Yeah, so this is actually legal, quote unquote legal. Um, <laughs> it's it's after so post taboo I mean, no quotes. It is just legal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is something that you can do post taboo, but it's way worse than the first combo we talked about, and it's harder to do, right? Far worse. It's harder to do, but uses the same card, will to survive to get a bunch of testless actions. However, it's not infinite, and the fascinating thing about it is it doesn't actually use any, like, church keepsakes. It uses a very different engine of cards to make this work. Yeah, so instead of recurring the cards by using the empty deck shuffling mechanic that's built into the game, it relies on survivor cards that can recur cards. So I'll, I'll run through this one just briefly. This one's a little bit more complicated. But the idea is you start your turn by playing Will to Survive, so you get to ignore the Chaos Bag for the rest of the turn and that's fast. Then you do some kind of test and you commit a quick thinking and two resourcefuls. So quick thinking gives you an action if you succeed by two or more, and resourceful, each copy lets you get a survivor card back from your discard pile. So there's will to survive, so you know what the difficulty of the test is. You make sure you pick a test where you'll succeed by two or more with these cards committed. So you succeed, and with the two resourcefuls, you get back the will to survive you just played and the true survivor you need a copy of true survivor in your discard pile to start with this so then at this point after doing that you have you've spent some resources and you've played will to survive and you have true survivor in your hand so you play true survivor which costs an action and you get the two resourcefuls and the quick thinking back from your discard pile so now you have two actions left that you can use to do anything that would help you win the scenario you don't have to draw chaos tokens the only problem with this is that you spent a lot of money, right? So Will to Survive costs four, and True Survivor costs three, so that's seven. But if you have On Your Own, which makes an event cost less once, once per turn if you have no allies, and if you have two copies of Drawing Thin, then if you use those every turn, plus the one resource that you get on Upkeep is just enough to make sure that you can keep doing this every turn. Your net resources stays the same. Right, yeah. So what this gets you is just every turn you can play Will to Survive, and you can really avoid ever having to draw from the Chaos Bag during Investigator Phase, which is a big limitation. Yeah, so while this is nowhere near as perfect, so to speak, as as the, the infinite combo where you immediately win the game, there's still a lot at risk here, because there's still obviously mythos phases because you're taking your turns while you're taking your turns more efficiently and that once you finally get this all set up you kind of have you're basically like the best investigator so to speak in the party but you definitely still need to play the game yeah and i mean when you say the best investigator i think the limitation of this one is that you're going to succeed on most of your tests but i mean other investigators might have actions might have items and assets that lets their actions do more so you might right. not be able to get two clues with one action maybe someone else in your in your group can sure yeah we we should also say so this combo um the investigators that can play it are wendy ashcan pete silas and lola so the the version i described i think is a wendy version that was made by arkham db user die dai there's also a lola version by uh, ak45526 that's been going around as well and again, this one is is legal. You can play this one if you want to. Uh, although I, I mean, I think that that's a lot of setup to do. You have to have eight specific cards in hand, and even after all of that, you're not instantly winning the game. Once you pull this off, you're just turning off the chaos bag on your turn, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I mean, turning off the chaos bag on your turn is still pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it's even better on like harder expert because if you don't have to draw tokens, when in <laughs> harder expert tokens are uh, can be pretty bad. That that is true. I think that these are definitely much better in like expert mode where you really want to avoid drawing from the chaos bag because there's like a minus eight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, bearing all of this in mind, the biggest limitation for all of this is that each of them are like 20 or 30 experience that you need to sink into these in order to get them to start working. You need the will to survives. In the infinite combo, you need an ace in the hole, which is an exceptional card, which is a whole buttload of experience. But all of these require like multiple scenarios in which your buddies carry you until you can, in the original iteration, go infinite. In this one, you know, help help carry the team. You don't necessarily have to be carried by your buddies. Like your the initial decks are still functional. It's just you're, you are working towards this combo, so maybe you would 
upgrade stuff that you into things that you aren't necessarily as good until you have all the pieces together. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the bigger issue isn't so much being carried through the first few scenarios until you get the XP. It might just be being carried through the first several turns of each scenario before you manage to assemble all of these cards. Because this is true, too. Yeah. You really, I mean, I know that the, the write-up for the Lola version claims that, you know, you can you can play kind of limited versions of the combo early before you have the full thing together. So maybe that's true. I, I don't really know. I haven't played it. But it definitely, it, it just seems like in this game, there's kind of a lot of setup to get uh, an effect that unless you're on expert mode, maybe isn't worth it, but it definitely is. I mean, it is pretty powerful in some situations. And I think some people love stuff like this. And I think <laughs> that if you have a, if you have a group of friends that do that, then you can go all in on it. You know, you can get your seeker to get cryptic research and have their, this guy draw all these cards yeah. and you can get your guardian to pump him full of, um, of uh, stand togethers so that they yeah. can draw cards faster. They can get to that, that win condition faster, so to speak. Our uh, our friend Alex, who's been on the the podcast a couple times, is very much a player that loves decks like this. I'm sure he's eager to give this a shot. But especially even just pulling off the combo, it, it might slow the game down kind of a lot. You're kind of asking a lot of your groupmates, so just be aware that if you try to do this, you might annoy some people. I uh, I have a question for you guys though. So the card that really made this possible, because most of these cards have been in the game for at least a little while. But this this uh, play will to survive every turn combo. The card that really enabled it is drawing thin, which just came out in in, in a recent pack. So it's maybe worth thinking about now that there's a taboo list for this game. Do you guys think that drawing thin is maybe too strong? Does it need to be limited or mutated or something? So my opinion on this actually, drawing thin is a very strong card. But I think that in all of these, the one thing that I thought of. I did initially th- think that Drawing Thin was the issue, but I, I actually think it's just Will to Survive. Will to Survive is the card that makes this work. This is like, when I was talking about, um, when we talked a little bit about the, the taboo list initially when uh, in the last episode, I talked about binary effects that just do something very powerful. Mm. Maybe just one, a one-time thing, or th- in this case, this is a binary effect that makes it so that you don't play the game Markham the Horror, right? You don't draw the Chaos, chaos Tokens. And a lot of the time in Expert, that's how you beat Expert, so to speak, where, you, where mm-hmm. you're playing things that make it so that you don't do that. But this just makes it so that you can, if you can infinitely recur, this just happens to be in the class that can recur things from their discard pile. And that that has proven to be the most dangerous aspect of, of these decks, I think. Yeah, Will It Survive by itself is like a pretty fine card. It's right. really all the support that was added that enables it, right? Yeah. So it's like any if if you target any one of these pieces, then maybe you can stop this combo. If if you want to if you want to stop this combo, I think I think the second one here isn't isn't game breaking or anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This one isn't game breaking. I do think that doing something about will to survive is maybe worth thinking about, just because someone eventually will figure out a version of this combo that can really go infinite or something like that uh, as more cards are printed for sure but i i'm with you dane i like drawing thin a lot i wouldn't i would hate to see them nerf that card just because it enables this kind of edge case i would kind of maybe just like to see will to survive get the added text that you it removes itself from the game after you play it yeah but that's kind of a bummer because recursion is like a theme for survivors and playing like a resourceful to get back your will to survive and play it again is feels like very on theme for them so if i had to do something I mean, I think I would, if they really wanted to get rid of this recursion engine of like resourceful plus uh, true survivor, I would almost maybe want them to ban true survivor because I really think there's not a whole lot of good uses for that card that are not enabling weird recursion combos. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think it gets played that much. So if they had to ban one of these cards, I would probably want it to be true survivor. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. They could also, like I said, just maybe make will to survive, remove itself from the game. The the reason why this also works is is the card that you just mentioned. True Survivor? Yes. True Survivor being played multiple times in a turn. They can just limit that once per phase if they need to. Well, it's not it's not getting played multiple times a turn. It's getting played once per turn in this combo. All this stuff is once per turn. Yeah. But that would be, I mean, maybe that would be a good compromise. Maybe instead of making Will to Survive remove itself from the game or banning True Survivor, maybe they could just make True Survivor remove itself from the game. Yeah. That's, that seems like a fair resolution. Or for now, I mean, if this is the best combo that's enabled by these things, I don't think it's bad if they just leave it as is. So, Yeah, I wouldn't touch anything just based off this one combo. Again, it takes a lot of experience to do this, right? Yeah. But it's definitely something to look out for. I do think Drawing Thin is a card to keep an eye on. Because it, <laughs> is a, it is pretty crazy. And having two of them down and doing a test you don't care about or doing other combos and you can get four resources a turn out of it. Yeah. That's very crazy. Like, if anything, that should maybe be limited to, like, maybe only one in play or something, but... 
the cards that are really good in, in, all, in a lot of these games are the cards that give you some benefit in exchange for some drawback in such a way where you can arrange to not actually care about the drawback. Right. Like right. that's that's like right. a common pattern of like incredibly good cards that end up getting banned. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's, that's why Machete was so good as a level zero card. <laughs> you can avoid that drawback most of the time. Right. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So there is a there is one more deck that we wanted to talk about, which is uh, a very powerful combo deck that actually does go infinite and is still legal. We're pretty sure. Ben, do you want to maybe talk about that deck a little bit? Uh, sure. Um, so this is a infinite uh, Jenny specifically deck. That was put up on Arkham DB by Skeeth, uh, which is Skeeth. Skeeth, I believe is how you say his name. Uh, I, I thought maybe it was just like S Keith, like Super Keith or something, but I don't know. I didn't. I didn't want to. It definitely I, stands oh. for Super Keith. <laughs> Super uh, Keith. It could be Skeeth. I don't know, but... It's just like how do you have you guys ever met someone named Scott? That name stands for Super. Keith. <laughs> wow. This yeah. is the only green combo that we have, right? Right now, anyway. Uh, yeah. So um, the the key of this combo is to utilize double nothing uh, as well as all in, which is a recent uh, skill card, to constantly cycle through your deck to regain all the other cards you need to constantly like succeed by a lot on every test you do uh, and constantly get uh, more actions and resources every time you do it. So this combo takes a couple rounds to set up, getting all the pieces of the combo together. Um, it utilizes Mr. Rook to just dig for all your combo cards as fast as possible. And the idea is, once you have all the combo pieces in your hand, you play Premonition, which Jenny uses her offslot for, to know what Chaos Token you're competing against. And then you commit double or nothing, quick thinking, and then some amount of skill cards or money cards in order to make it so you are going to succeed by five. And then this is part part of the combo is that you have uh, talents that can boost any of your stats and you're you're yeah. going to have a lot of money and you can because you know what token is coming, you can decide right, how much money exactly. to spend. So, uh, yeah, you commit double nothing, uh, quick thinking and then all in and then you succeed by five uh, and therefore you gain two actions and get to draw five cards twice. And you set yourself up such that your deck has been thinned down because you've played assets um, to thin down your deck to like 16, 17 cards, such that when you discard the cards for this combo, you'll draw a second set of cards and be able to do the combo again. And you just keep doing like two sets of the combo cards where there's an all-in and a double nothing and a quick thinking in both combos, along with whatever skill cards. Uh, and you basically nets you infinite actions and infinite money, and you just never have a upkeep or a mythos phase or an enemy phase. And yeah, you you basically and and that, if that's the case, you should be able to basically win the game. And and in this case, you're not playing Will to Survive because Jenny can't play Will to right, Survive. Right. But you are gaining infinitely many as as many actions and as much money as you could possibly want. So that's like a pretty good substitute because this this is unlike the other infinite combo we talked about. This one is still legal even after the yeah. to the list. But this isn't technically perfect, right? There are some issues that you could run into. There is a chance that you could get three auto-fails in a row. Like, you play Premonition, auto-fail, play a second Premonition, <laughs> auto-fail, and then you draw a third auto-fail. And if you auto-fail when you're doing your combo, uh, it could screw you over. Um, but I think you can also recover, but you won't be able to. You might not be able to uh, avoid a Mythos phase, and then it's a little bit less reliable. And then um, you know anything that makes you discard cards uh, could be a problem like weaknesses or early game mythos uh cards which is true of most of these combos yeah i mean it's definitely but theoretically uh like if you can get yourself set up in those first few turns then this might be pretty crazy yeah this this one's like definitely pretty scary i think do we know how much experience this one costs it's only 10 experience to get the two all-ins for the all-ins oh my yeah. god yeah that's it that's way more attainable yeah and we yeah. we kind of skip through some details because this one is more complicated than the other ones it's actually quite complicated so check out the write-up on um arkham db if you're if you're interested in seeing like the full description of it from super keith yeah from from super keith it's been sitting on the front page for a yep. few days super keith come on the show come on do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but pretty neat i don't know if this will be a deck that gets enough attention that uh, matt newman swings the ban hammer on something just making like all in get discarded or something or get removed from the game when played would probably break this combo it's tough yeah yeah or like quick thinking once per phase once or once per phase per... Could work. Yeah, yeah once per phase there's, there's a couple things you could do i don't know you have to be careful with like when you have these combos that like require like six or seven cards you have to be careful like which ones you nerf because it can 
weaken them too much to be played normally. So I'm sure that's a delicate balance. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Pretty neat, though. Yeah, so that's kind of just a quick summary of the combos that kind of have arisen recently. Guys, what did you think about the Circle Undone so far? What about these advanced combo decks? Are they fun to play? Do you think combos like this are healthy or unhealthy for the game? Comment wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at MiskatonicUniversityRadio at gmail.com. And thanks for listening again, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.